Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast for episode 20. In this episode, we're going to be recapping some of the more hardware releases and reviews that we've been doing lately. AMD Ryzen 8000G APUs, the GeForce RTX 4080 Super, lots of interesting things talked about there. Also talking about our recent ray tracing poll and a survey that we're hoping everyone will do links in the description below to that so yeah let's um let's get into it steve review season at least for well this season seems to be <laughs> over how did you cope how did you manage yeah um it's not as exciting as it sounds let's let's call it um review refresh season having said that the 8700g and 8600g are new products so probably a bit true, unfair true. on them to call it a exclusively a refresh season but it, it feels like that anyway okay um so what was the question <laughs> well how did you cope i mean you had to review what like six products um, in a week couple weeks yeah i think um well i coped i'm fine i'm fine what have i got to complain about i review pc gaming hardware for a job so uh yeah. but uh it, look it was it was testing trying at times uh, especially not having balen i had to uh which I, look this may have made it interesting i had to get on and do the b-roll uh, and I had to edit mm-hmm. the video. And honestly, I think getting thrown that curveball where I had to do something that I haven't really done much of for the last two years made it somewhat interesting. I got to play around okay. with the B-roll and try a few different creative shots. As Balin, I, I, I tell this to him, I, I, I know how old man I sound. You know, it's like, back in my day, yeah. doing B-roll was so <laughs> much harder. But I, So I, I'm, I'm self-aware. In, in that sense, but damn, since I, I used to do like, uh, I don't even know what brand or model it was, but it was one of those manual hand slider things that then had like a janky motor attachment that you could put on the end. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the, the rubber band thing that runs it, the belt essentially would get slack in it sometimes or over tension and it was near on impossible to get a good shot with it. So you'd do the same shot like six times trying to get it to not stuff up. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, there was, 
I, I'm forgetting all of the things we used to have to deal with with the old cameras and you know the old media formats and the old audio and all that sort of stuff. The old lighting, like I'm sitting there and I've got an, a little LED light thing, um, RGB that is programmable and can do all these things at the touch of a button. And you know, we we never had that stuff mostly because probably couldn't afford it um, back when I used to do B roll three years ago. So I'm just sitting there enjoying and marveling at all these, you know, like the, I think the electric slider I've currently got was about a $4,000 investment and it's got pan and tilt heads and everything on it. That's all Bluetooth uh, controllable via your phone oh, or yeah, your tablet. Nice. And you just, you just like program it. You just like, okay, focus there. I want you to go here and then go to there and you just click record on the camera, hit play on your phone. And you just sort of sit there and it gets you the perfect shot first time, every time. So I'm like, this Balin kid, he has no idea, <laughs> no idea how, how easy he's got it. And not to mention like, you know, the GH6, like it, it's it's so easy to get a good shot with that camera. I remember yeah, like yep. lighting and stuff with the the older, what do we use, like the G7 and stuff. It was really hard to get the lighting perfect where the camera just didn't look like crap. So anyway, um, I did that, which made it interesting, I suppose. Uh, the product, the benchmarking side of things was super boring uh, the, the tw- I was just going to say, like, how funny is it that you've just spent the last couple of minutes recapping the camera gear <laughs> and you having to use it for the first time in two years and how that was more exciting than the actual I mean, products? Honestly, the benchmarking phase was, yeah. I mean, I enjoy benchmarking. It's It's very tedious. It's very involved. It takes a lot of time. But retesting essentially a product you've already tested to find out if it's is it is it one percent or is it four percent faster and that was like <laughs> that was that was the excitement it was like you run a test oh ooh, this time it was three percent okay um so yeah that yeah. that was tough the, the apus um again like Technically impressive product, the 8700G, which is the one we've looked at in depth so far. Technically impressive product. Pretty cool to see what it could do, um, just running off integrated graphics, like the the level of performance you could get. But at the same time, I I I sunk, geez, the amount of hours I put in, because all of that data was fresh for that video, because I didn't have comparative data or you know, I, I hadn't got a Core i3 with an RX 6600 type data. So all of the data for that video was gathered the week leading up to it. And I basically just, you know, weekday, weekend, just benchmark, benchmark, benchmarked. And yeah, as I said, technically impressive, but at the same time, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, this is so much work for me to ultimately say this doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> but but you, can't know. Just, you, you can't just say that. You've actually got to put all the time and the effort in to prove why. And even then, you still get a couple of people that are like, you don't understand APUs. They totally make sense for this super niche case that I'm about to present to you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, parts of that were enjoyable, like getting the results. Parts of it were in- interesting. But I would say the majority of it was like, well... Yeah, I'm just proving why this product doesn't really make sense. So it's hard to get excited about a product review when ultimately you know it doesn't make sense. And we knew we knew that that wouldn't make sense. What? When did we talk about it? Weeks ago. Yeah, um, that's right. I mean, we're in the mid mid cycle sort of stuff. This is when you get all the other. They're, they're trying to fill out the product portfolios. They're releasing a couple of interesting different things around the place. The APUs are sort of not a headline sort of CPU for people. They kind mm-hmm. of AMD slots them in where they can and. So yeah, that's what you typically get this time in the cycle is those types of products. 
Yeah, that's right. Like the RTX forty seventy super. Look, I'm not going to say it's an amazing product. You should rush out and buy one. But that was a pretty, as far as refreshes go, and this is relative. Mm-hmm. As far as refreshes go, the forty seventy super refresh was really interesting. You got like what twenty percent performance bump. You got the yeah, extra big, four yeah. gigabytes of VRAM. It's now a sixteen gigabyte card for six hundred dollars US. Uh, again, that's what it should have been a year ago. So it's hard to get super excited about that, but it's a good product. Like overall in the current climate, current landscape, it's a good product. 4070 Ti Super, bit of a nothing burger. And then the RTX 4080 Super, even more so. So it, it started off pretty strong and quickly, quickly faded away there. Um, and then we, yeah, we got the APUs mixed in there, which again, the APU is technically interesting. It was just, I suppose from my perspective, it was such an enormous amount of testing and work that went into reviewing those, in my opinion, properly. Yeah. Well, luckily the video did well because the, mm. the issue with those products is you get sort of something that isn't worth recommending or is kind of a bit niche or something. And then you put in all this work and then the video doesn't get as many views or not as many people watch it as you're hoping for. And you've just spent all that time and effort making a video and then yep. no one cares. And that, that always stings a little bit. And then sometimes you make the videos that are like a bang job type video that you spend half a day or that gets good views. So at least people watched the video and saw the work. So I think there were some interesting things that you, you put into mm-hmm. that video. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Well, that's a good point you bring up because I did get rewarded for all the effort I put into that one because it probably got about mm-hmm. twice as many views as I was realistically expecting it to. So that's good. And I think given how boring a lot of the products are and therefore the content, <laughs> I, I think view-wise they've done quite well. But I've been saying, like, Balin constantly says, oh, you know, the channel's doing quite well. He's excited because Balin does ad sales. So He's very into the analytics. He's got to present that to you know potential advertisers yeah. and whatnot. And he's always quite blown away by how well the channel's doing and everything. I said, yeah, honestly, it's pretty impressive that the channel's doing as well as it is right now. Because honestly, at least the last 12 months have been one of the most boring periods in the 20 plus years I've been doing this. And realistically, mm-hmm. the last two years have been really boring. So the fact that we're still getting people interested and stuff, that's great. Um, I, It kind of makes me wonder how well you know, we could be doing and how much we could be enjoying our job, probably more importantly, had you know things been more interesting or if they get more interesting, how things will go. So I guess that's positive, the fact that we have to be close to an all-time low. Probably the, an all-time low was the cryptocurrency, but then people were really interested during the last cryptocurrency boom just because they wanted to get something. So they were like, Mm-hmm. looking for yeah. a hack like what what can i use to actually game with my friends so anyway well, I, th- I think at this time it's got a sort of a combination of you know economic downturn really a lot of people aren't able to afford as much mm. of a graphics card as they wanted during like the cryptocurrency boom and people had a lot more disposable income and stuff and then yeah just that combined with products that aren't super interesting have sort of you know, consumers' interest has gone in one direction, wanting cheaper products, more affordable products to match economic conditions. And then the products themselves have kind of gone in the other direction and sort of they've diverged away from what a lot of the consumers want. And that 
that creates this situation where even if there are releases, they're just not that exciting mm. and not really worth talking too much about. I think CPU is probably a little different because there's still you know attractive products there, but CPUs never get as much interest as the GPU side of things, typically speaking. I want to start this one off after your little recap of the review season by another recap, and that's looking at our ray tracing survey that we put up on the Hardware Unboxed community tab last week because we spent a bit of time in the previous podcast talking about the new ray tracing testing that you had implemented for the well, the 4070 Ti Super at the time. It was also used for the 4080 Super. And we were just wondering, like, you know, what's people's interest, what gauge people's interest in using ray tracing at the moment? And so we published this poll. It says, when available in a game, do you usually play with ray tracing enabled? That was the question. And then people could choose from from five different responses here. And so, well, let's just go through the results. Uh, so 52% of respondents, this had 54,000 votes on, on the poll, mm -hmm. said that they do not typically use ray tracing in their games. So that was split up with 16% of people said that the visual improvement was not significant enough, and 36% of people said that the performance hit is too significant on their GPU. So 52% in total uh, were not typically enabling ray tracing. 26% of people said that they turned it on in some games and leave it off in some games. And then the remaining 21% of people, I believe it's 21% if my math is correct. Yes, 21% um, did use ray tracing. That was 14% saying at the maximum ray tracing settings and 7% on medium or low ray tracing settings. So did those results surprise you in any way? No, not really. I've got to be honest. That's probably... I. I mean, really, I can only go off my own experiences and I guess, well, my own personal experiences and then my experiences with my friends group, like the guys I game with, people who I know who game. Um, of course, mm -hmm. you're included in that, Balin's included in that, and uh, other friends that I game with. And out of, out of all of those sort of people and my experiences, yeah, it's like ray tracing is not something that it doesn't dominate gaming conversations. People aren't super excited about it. There's definitely been things that have happened visually in gaming that have, I don't know, um, sort of been more unanimously agreed upon that they're amazing and they've really improved gaming. I guess stuff like anti-aliasing or just 3D gaming to begin with. I'm going way back now, but when I started yeah. out, it was like, I remember when I think it was like MechWarrior 3D was one of the first 3D games. Correct me if I'm wrong on this because I wasn't, I was very young. I probably at the time. wasn't, I wasn't even super, born, so I don't know. Yeah, that's, there's a good chance. But basically, when, when, when true 3D gaming came along, it wasn't like a, mm, I don't, do we really want 3D gaming? Is the performance it worth it? Does it actually look, it was like, I don't remember the performance it really being a problem back then, but just, the visual improvement, like it, it really just redefined the whole, it would just change gaming completely. It was, it was a whole new thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was mind blowing. I was like, wow. Okay. Uh, Cause I remember at the time thinking, but I play 3d video games, <laughs> <laughs> but then when I actually saw these games in 3d, I was like, Oh, okay. That is definitely different. So yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, look, let's let's be honest here. The, the performance hit to enable ray tracing at any kind of meaningful level is just, it's still insane. Even on high-end hardware, the performance hit is crazy. And even if you want to enjoy stuff like path tracing, you've really got to fall back on a fair bit of trickery to make that work. So yeah. 
it's it's definitely not a toggle on and oh wow the game looks better and i don't like frame rate counter aside okay because i think people think you know i'm definitely an fps snob but ignoring that let's remove the frame rate counter let's just play a game that only needs you know 60 fps to be enjoyable okay even when you turn ray tracing on without the fps counter you're like oh this doesn't feel quite as good i remember we did that in the office with balan because balan was saying oh i'd only need this much performance to play cyberpunk and yeah, I was like, that's right. mm, I think you'll notice that it doesn't feel as nice, mate. And he's like, no, I reckon with ray tracing on that, it'd be okay. And then we did it without the FPS counter and straight away he was like, oh yeah, okay, now this doesn't, this doesn't feel good at all. This is, yeah, I, I don't like the, 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 the latency, the input I'm getting at the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's still, um, it's still a way I th- off. I think some of these poll results really match with what we were talking earlier about the current landscape and why things aren't super exciting is that, you know, you scroll through the comments on some of these posts, you know, people saying uh, uh, 142 likes on this comment, bold of you to assume my card is new enough to support ray tracing. <laughs> well, that, look, that, that, that is true. The, the, the poll does have limitations in that sense, but I think it is the general sentiment though, because as I talked about in the last podcast, we were looking at stuff like, I think it was the four, the new impressive 4070 Super and what that mm-hmm. does with ray tracing enabled. And for me personally, they're not frame rates I want to play at at 1440p. And in yeah, that's, a, lot a, of, that's a $600 GPU. Yeah. In a, in a lot of instances, a $600 GPU will not deliver the performance I desire with a, a reasonable degree of ray tracing enabled. And while ray tracing does enhance those games visually, it doesn't do it anywhere near enough to justify playing that way. I would much, I am more than happy to sacrifice a bit of visual quality to have that nice smooth, you know, when you're panning around, when you're aiming down sights, all that sort of stuff. You just, that for me, that's the priority, I guess. And that's the easiest way to put it. For me, the priority is the input. As, as long as you've got good input, the game can look like whatever, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. especially a single player title the better it looks the more immersive it is again alan wake 2 looks phenomenal but as phenomenal as alan wake 2 looks for me the most important thing is when i look around the environment that it doesn't feel like a low fps sluggish game that makes sense yeah that yeah absolutely and i think you know between the comment of someone saying they don't even have a card that supports ray tracing and about half of the poll respondents saying that they didn't think it was, you know, the visual improvement or performance, it was too significant. I think that is just highly indicative of what people have bought as GPUs. You know, you look back at the RTX 20 series generation and 2080 was like, what was it, $700? And then the 3080 was $700. And now the 4070 Super is $600, which is $100 less, but it's not, it hasn't exactly shifted the ray tracing calculations all that much in terms of what people have been able to do. It's mm-hmm. still very much a case of, you know, am I able to run it on medium settings? And we're talking about expensive GPU here. Most people aren't spending $600 on a GPU. They're spending, you know, if they want, if they can, like $300. You know, that's the sort of, previously people would have been spending $150, $200 on a GPU, which, you know, still can't really do ray tracing to any significant degree. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the a lot of these results come into play. And you know, I've seen people say, Things like, oh, you know, our polls are always going to be based on our audience, which is true to some degree, and that's <laughs> going to be biased for reason X, Y, Z, whatever you want to say, right? 
But I think a lot of those opinions come from people that have bought very expensive GPUs and are thinking, well, yeah, I can't believe other people aren't playing this game with ray tracing enabled. Like it's running really well for me. Why aren't other people experiencing this? It's like, yeah, it's because they spent $300 on their GPU or $250 and it's not good enough mm-hmm. for, for that sort of uh, scenario. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say that the, these results have surprised me too much. It is shifting a bit. We look. I went back and had a look at some polls from two, three years ago <laughs> and the opinions were more negative towards ray tracing um, with certainly a lot more people either not using it, not considering it for their buying purchase, those sorts of things. So to have 50% of people some even you know sometimes or definitely turning it on most of the time is, yeah, it's come a- away from where it was previously, but it's still not in the position where games can start you know, releasing without rate, you know, without the rasterization mm-hmm. mode, for example, because mm-hmm. if, they, if they did that, PC gaming would just die straight away because people aren't willing to, like people are not willing to spend $600 on a G, most people don't want to spend that. And if we can't do those effects, then yeah, there needs to be some significant improvement to come in that area. Yeah, and I mean, the, the poll results aren't unique either to our community or our audience because you know, whatever claims certain individuals want to make about whether, you know, we have a pro Radeon, which would be hilarious if that was true, because I honestly can't remember the last time I did a positive Radeon review. But anyway, that aside, uh, you know, the Gamers Nexus have done similar polls with similar results uh, and other, you know, media outlets have done the same and they've got similar results. So our results certainly aren't out of the ordinary if you go searching around trying to find similar evidence or data online you're going to find a similar thing and it makes sense right it's which it's it's the reason why i've started to more tailor um the sort of upscaling and ray tracing aspects of our reviews to the price point so i Mm -hmm. think something like when well for example i just reviewed the rtx uh, 4080 super and there when comparing with the 7900 xtx I felt like ray tracing was fairly relevant for a lot of people mm-hmm. that are buying that product and and upscaling in particular very relevant because you're playing at 1440p or realistically probably 4K. Upscaling has a lot of data to pull on there and you get a higher quality output. So that's good. But then if you go to the opposite end of the spectrum to something like an RTX 4060, it's like, come on, let's be honest. Let's Let's be honest with ourselves. How useful is an RTX 4060 for ray tracing? Now there'll be some sort of vocal minority. They'll be like, you guys don't understand, blah, 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 blah. But anyone who's tested and looked into it properly, it's it's not a good ray tracing product. And even upscaling is questionable uh, when mm-hmm. you're using... You're not using ray tracing. I don't care who you are or what your opinion is. There's no way you're using ray tracing to any noticeable degree on an RTX 4060 above 1080p and you're doing so without upscaling. That's just not happening, right? No. That's not happening. I mean, I, I guess part of it is potentially that game game developers over time have started to create games where you kind of need upscaling to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I remember back in like the Turing generation, it was the whole discussion of you turn on ray tracing and then you turn on DLSS to reverse the performance hit basically. Mm-hmm. But these days the baseline really is playing games with upscaling enabled. So mm-hmm. that a lot of that has sort of hasn't really come to play, especially for like a 4060. I imagine a lot of people that wanted to play on even like a high preset in some of these games, you'd be needing to rely on upscaling without ray tracing, which means you can't just, 
you can't really reverse that ray tracing performance hit. It's like, are you, are you turning not, it down from DLSS quality to performance? I, yeah, not that you could. That was always the biggest marketing BS. It was very pitch. questionable. Yeah. Because as um, no, you've pointed out before, and it's the same thing with like reflex and frame generation. It's like, but you can have the other thing without the compromise, right? So you yeah. can you can enable upscaling to boost your FPS without having to enable ray tracing. So. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's it's not like a feature of ray tracing. It's something that you mm-hmm. can benefit from without ray tracing. But again, my my point was, you you need upscaling with a low end product. But then you're at such a low resolution where upscaling doesn't work nearly as well as it does at 1440p, and certainly nowhere near as well as it does at 4K. So you end up with a very smeary, blurry image, and this is where it's highly subjective, but for me, it becomes a bit messy. And I don't know, there's a lot of people clutching at straws, but these compromised ray traced configurations. So even on something like an RTX 4070, even up to maybe a 4070 Ti, when you start having to use lower quality presets with varying degrees of ray tracing, it's like how, in how often is that actually better quality than just running the game on higher ultra? at a higher resolution. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to, to, to take advantage of ray tracing, you're often having to compromise on the resolution, which has a visual downgrade. Then you're having to use upscaling at a lower resolution, which has a visual downgrade. Then you're having to lower things like shadow quality or, or something to free up some GPU rendering power. And then again, yeah. that degrades the image quality. But hey, now you've got a you got ray trace reflections. <laughs> it's like the amount of compromises you've had to make to get ray traced reflections. Uh, yeah, I, I really question those those configurations a lot of the time. Yeah, the balancing act is is pretty difficult with those sorts of mm-hmm. things to know exactly where the line lies, especially because there are ray tracing effects that have little to no visual improvement. Mm-hmm. So you're compromising all these things to turn on a ray tracing effect that you may not really notice all that much mm-hmm. um, especially if you're not doing a lot of side-by-side comparisons like you're just going into the game you turn it on to max ray tracing and then you start turning down other settings to preserve ray tracing it can get very messy and is not necessarily the best way to to run those sort of things but yeah between this podcast and last podcast i think we've talked a lot about ray tracing and it's been interesting to see how people's opinions evolve i have prepared a Another survey for people who are just for just for people listening to this podcast okay. uh, that I'll put as a link in the description on the YouTube video and also in the, the show notes for people listening to the audio version. Very, very quick, very simple 10-question uh, survey about GPUs and related things. So it's just going to ask things like what GPU you're currently using, how much did it cost, things like that, what features you find important. Things that we can discuss about in the next podcast just to figure out, you know, what's this, what, what are you guys actually using? What are you buying what do you uh what features do you find important because we always have our opinions on these things but there's only so many polls we don't want to be publishing a poll every single day on our channel so yeah we'd really appreciate if people go and just check out that survey it's going to take a very short amount of time uh it won't collect your email address or anything i think you have to sign in just so that we don't get multiple responses but we're not after your email or anything just after the data so we'll talk (laughs) about that in the next episode (laughs) we're so harvesting your data (laughs) (laughs) We'll sell it to Facebook or something. You know, don't worry about it. Oh, they probably already have it. (laughs) Yeah, they probably do, let's be honest. Uh, All right. So, yeah, survey. Check that out. We'll talk about your responses. And, yeah, hopefully people will enjoy that. Next up, RTX 4080 Super, the GPU that 
I don't know. I watched your review. I watched a part of Gamers Nexus review and a couple of other reviews. It seemed like people were quite bored testing this product. You seemed like you weren't that all that interested in talking about the product in your review. It wasn't all that much to talk about. Um, yeah, it's just not a new product. It's not exciting, not interesting. We talked about that a bit previously, but yeah, not a lot to say really. Nope, nothing really new to investigate. No sort of differences in uh, VRAM capacity or anything like that. Uh, not suggesting that's necessary when you've got already got 16 gigabytes. But yeah, similar performance, but it had to be benchmarked. Like you, you actually have to benchmark it to show where those small changes do and don't make a difference and what difference they end up ultimately making. Yep. So yeah, it's you're talking about days of testing there, at least two full days of testing to get all of that ray tracing and rasterization data. And you know, there was other things that I didn't bother showing in the review I tested, like you know, power and thermals and clocks and all that of three different models, uh, but ultimately didn't bother showing people that because maybe i'll do a roundup um but sure yeah, i mean apparently they're selling okay but i mean yeah, yeah i heard they're selling okay not amazing but okay so i mean yeah it's at least in the us 200 dollars us off um if you were already mm-hmm. looking at buying ones a fairly substantial discount it's like a black friday deal that won't go away um but yeah what was the question how, how did i find testing it i mean <laughs> i i, I Put it this way, Tim. I didn't stay up till one a.m. to see the video go. The video go out. Um, mm-hmm. I still went to bed relatively late, but I thought, you know what, this one. I'm it'll sure this be will fine. Be, I'm sure it'll be yeah. fine. I scheduled that thing. Went to bed at just before midnight, and I woke up in the mm-hmm. morning. And I didn't rush to even read the comments or anything. Uh, but yeah, it looks. I, I haven't read that that many comments. I read the mm-hmm. the few most upvoted top comments and yeah it seemed like seemed people fine. Were, yep. seemed like people were were thoroughly unimpressed so i was like well w- yep yeah. that makes sense yeah it's interesting hearing I, I remember back in the press preview of these products um i think it was just before ces when nvidia was sort of telling us about mm-hmm. the pricing the performance just before their announcement and they were sort of they seemed very excited about like oh you know this is a 4080 but it's $1,000 instead of $1,200 and they had similar, you know, very positive. I mean, obviously they're employees of the company. They're going to be excited about their products, but, you know, they're really talking it up sort of like, you know, I, you know, surely this is going to be what gets people interested in, in our GPUs. You know, this this price cut, we think it's pretty significant, um, even though the performance improvement isn't that much. And I guess maybe that's a bit of a misread of what people are after in the market. I, I just don't think uh, a, a price cut of this tier of product is what people want like if this was a if they had took the same percentage and apply like percentage discount and they apply that to the 4060 you might get some interest but at a 4080 i don't know yeah look i'm i agree um but obviously there's a bit more to the story so they're not really looking at selling this silicon that cheap because of the demand from ai so while mm-hmm. they want to address yeah. the gaming market a bit and stay competitive and and keep you know generating sales there because, well, obviously they have some allocation that needs to go somewhere else. They can't. And then the the employees you're talking about, I mean, they're GeForce employees. They're they're they're, they're employees of the Nvidia brand, but they're really GeForce employees. They're they're pushing the GeForce products to gamers because that that's what they're doing, right? At As least a job, yeah. At least when they deal with us, I, I don't know what else they do with their time, but certainly when they're promoting the products to us. And I'm sure 
they um, would probably like to come uh, come out with something even uh, more impressive or more exciting than they ultimately have because I'm sure they know, you know, how exciting a thousand dollar US GPU that really should be eight hundred dollars is ultimately. So there's a few other things going on there, but I get what you say. But yeah, they did hype it up a bit the the price cut, and mm-hmm. I guess at the time I was somewhat excited about the idea of a fairly reasonable price cut and mm-hmm. i think at the time the nvidia employees asked me like what do i make of it and i'm like well you know price cuts are good I, it's, it's a reasonable price cut but at the same time i've really got to do the testing see where it mm-hmm. fits in in terms of cost per frame um, and the rest yeah. of the market and i guess it slots in reasonably well but i suppose it's just because the radeon brand's pretty uncompetitive in terms of price to performance as well so I know, it's hard yeah, to no, get excited about. I think that a sentiment from a lot of the comments, just just general comments, not just on that review, but in across a lot of GPU reviews for these sort of higher end products, has been, you know, if we look at the forty eighty super to be specifically, the thirty eighty was a seven hundred dollar GPU. Mm, that was really good. The, the forty eighty was twelve hundred dollars, and now they've price cut it to a thousand dollars. So a lot of people are thinking that it should still be a seven hundred dollar GPU. Even if they're doing a price cut, even if they've sort of gone, well, we're giving it to you for $200 less, there's still, a lot of people are still looking at it as in, but $1,200 was the stupidest price ever. Like that was a terrible, terrible price. You were trying to charge $500 more. Now it's, you've cut it down to $200. You've cut it by $200. So now it's still $300 more than it should be. And I don't know exactly whether the 4080 Super should be $700 or should the 4080 have been $700? Maybe it could have been a little more expensive given it is, was quite you know, fast. But clearly that sentiment is around in the market at the moment. In the, that sort of GPU, previously you were able to get it for a lower price, especially because you know, normally what you'd be expecting for around $1,000 to $1,200 is more a 4080 Ti or what previously was 3080 Ti type product that gets quite close to a 4090. The 4080 Super is not that close to a 4090. It's still quite a bit slower than their top tier product. And so I think that's why a lot of people aren't super excited about it. They're still, you know, I guess in some way, NVIDIA has tried to pump up prices to then correct them (laughs) down a little bit later, but that correction is still above where a lot of people think it should be. And I think there is Mm -hmm. some merit to that. Oh, absolutely. Look, the RTX 4080 Super or 4080, I mean, they're essentially the same product, right? So it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. The RTX 4080 should have launched 14 months ago at $800 US. I think that's a reasonable, uh, that's, a, that's a really good price. It's $100 more than the 3080, mm-hmm. which I would have happily accepted. You're getting 60% more VRM and you're getting 50% more performance at 4K. Yeah, that's huge. That so was that, sold that, really well. <laughs> that's a really great product. $900 even would have been okay, but probably would have taken a fair bit of the excitement out of it. $800, that would have yeah. been a great product. And then the rest of the product stack has to be shaped around that. I mean, the 4090, that can be the 3090. That can stay the, the same price, yeah. That, that can be the dumb tier. And I'm, I'm happy for there to be a dumb tier that is completely disconnected from the rest of the product stack. And I mm-hmm. kind of, there is a need for a dumb tier. There really is. And I was all for the GeForce 30 series having sort of a sensible product stack for the most part and then the dumb tier. That was fine. I was okay yeah. with that. Uh, and that, that's true with even like stuff like AMD CPUs. I'm happy to have the, 
the 7800X3D and then sort of like the dumb version that doesn't necessarily make sense. It's sort of a niche product like 7950X3D or, or even Threadripper going as sort of berserk as it has gone. I'm not, as long as we're getting good value products that make, because like you could game very well on an RTX 4080, uh, a 4070 Ti, a 4070. They're, they're great products. If you can get them available at reasonable prices and everything below them, then it's happy days. Same thing with CPUs. You, you know, a fast eight-core CPU is really all you need for gaming. In some ways, it's almost overkill. So as long as you've got access to that at a reasonable price, then again, it's happy days. So yeah, real shame. But again, it's demand in other markets that have really hurt the value of GPUs. And AMD just doesn't seem super keen to compete with the Radeon brand. They're happy just to sort of coexist. I, I think people, again, they would have tolerated potentially even a $1,000 4080 super type product or 4080 whatever if they were getting the 400 or $300 GPUs that most people are interested in. Oh, I think sure. people, get, people get frustrated when they see you know, oh, you know, I'm trying to buy a card for $400 and I'm left with kind of the trash, the scraps that no one wants. Mm -hmm. And then they're seeing at the top end and it's also, you know, oh, they're, they're, that card is $200 more expensive. Well, that kind of matches with my experience trying to buy it $400. And then mm -hmm. they're seeing all that and they're seeing that the 4090 is really the only good product and it's good for different reasons than price to performance, really. It's good because of its performance. Mm -hmm. And so th there's a lot of frustration there. You know, people are very happy to go on and complain in comments, be negative, talk, you know, get, get on Twitter or whatever and start being like, this, this is a very disappointing product because they're sort of projecting their disappointment across the whole product line. And I think it is a, not a great price. It, it could still be a cheaper product. But imagine if there was a really good $400 GPU that was flying off shelves, people were really excited about it. And then there was the 4080s doing whatever. It's, it's $1,000, whatever. They've made it a little cheaper now. I think people would be a lot more receptive to that if they've already they've gotten the good product that they're interested in and they're sort of like, okay, well, I've got my fill. I've, I'm, I'm happy with my experience. I'm, I'm good now. And then, yeah, if someone's got $1,000, that product is, it is what it is. It's not that bad, but that's just, <laughs> not what, that's just not what we're really getting at the moment. So I don't know whether that will be fixed in the future, but yeah, I think that just the general sentiment from people buying GPUs across the whole thing is that it's not good. And it's going mm -hmm. to take a while for that perception to change. It's going to take like some sort of spark product, maybe like maybe it's just one, like a new generation product, just one particular part of the lineup that it's like, wow, that's really exciting. That's not doing something that we've had for a few years. I'm going to rush out and buy that. And as soon as that happens, then the less exciting products across the stack are going to benefit from that, you know, that mm -hmm. interest, that hype from those products. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that just, it just doesn't exist right now. So we're just sitting here in that situation where, yeah, it's not, not a lot to talk about really. Yes, sadly that is the case. Let's talk about the Ryzen 8000G APUs because there's probably, I don't know, maybe a bit more to talk about there with those than the than the 48, <laughs> even though it's... Uh, where are your straws that you're grasping at there, Tim? Well, I can't see them in frame. <laughs> Well, it's funny because the first note that I've written here for the 8000 GPU is pointless as expected. <laughs> so maybe I was hyping it up a bit too much. But yeah, I, I think mean, it might is... have been. Yeah, like like I said earlier, technically good product, right? Yeah, that's true. The uh, the integrated graphics performance is impressive to see what they're able to get there out of the unified design. But as you you know, you went through a couple of different examples in your review. <laughs> it just doesn't make like you look at 
across the wide variety of configurations that can someone have someone can have with a PC and mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense. Uh, obviously compared to other integrated graphics products it's it's very impressive but that's just not the market they're competing in uh, with these desktop parts. Um, I think your Core i3 plus RX 6600 comparison just very easily showed what most people should be buying with this sort of amount of money. Yeah, that's right. And I used the Core i3 because in our most recent, you know, best of CPU guide, it's like that CPU is as low as around $80 at times, somewhere between, you know, hovers between $80 and $100. And I think a Ryzen 5 uh, 5600, which realistically is similar performance anyway, is a bit more expensive. But people were saying, you know, I wish you had have used an AM4 processor. It doesn't really matter too much what processor you use. If you can show a CPU and GPU discrete combo that absolutely slaughters the 8700G for the same price or in that instance less, then mm-hmm. it's point proven, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, in, that, in that sense, it's like, well, yeah, you just don't buy this thing. You look at the combo that makes sense, the discrete GPU and CPU combo that makes sense for your budget. Yeah, I think that's that's right. I mean, you probably could have even gone back to like a, a Zen 2 CPU or I don't know if they still sell those anymore, but whatever the $100 Zen 4 product is, mm-hmm. which is probably Zen 2 or something, and you pair that with a, you know, for, in this performance tier, the CPU really isn't going to be the limiting factor a lot of the time. So you really can just yeah. dial that way back, like really min-max your system and spend as much of that $330 budget or whatever it was on the GPU and you, you end up with a much better overall system for people and yeah it was interesting looking through the comments of people sort of trying to come up with alternate angles as to where an apu makes sense mm. like someone was like the, this comment actually is over 600 uh, likes the first use case i'd see is a streaming pc since it can encode av1 on hardware directly you know some people saying that they'd use it for like a home theater pc or some sort of small compact design um, those sort of okay. systems. But then the more you think about those doesn't use make, cases, it just nah. doesn't make sense. Nah, I'm not even sure how good it would be as a streaming PC, to be honest. There's not much horsepower there of anything. I mean, yeah, maybe it would work. But the things that those use cases ignore is the fact that you still need to buy an AM5 motherboard, which aren't cheap. They're in a lot of instances, mm-hmm. when you're looking at the lower end, the sort of entry-level models, they're twice the price as AM4. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a price premium associated with the motherboard. Then you're going to buy DDR5 memory, which is priced really well. You can get great DDR5 memory for just over $100 now. But again, it's about twice the price of DDR4, at least last I looked. Uh, pricing may have changed. It's been quite a few months since I've looked. But you know, DDR4 is, uh, to my knowledge, it's still, it's still cheap, cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you, there's an, a premium associated with the motherboard, with the memory. Uh, and so there's... Once you factor that in, well, you could probably buy like a, you know, an eight core uh, newer processor, or you could buy an older Zen four, maybe twelve core processor, or something like that, and you wouldn't be blowing out the budget that much. It, yeah, is is it a perfect AV one streaming CPU on a budget? I, I find it hard to believe that it would be. I'm sure for once you factor in the full cost of the system, you could build something that's much more powerful and. Not just it, it in in that sense, it's almost like a console. Like you've you've purpose built it for this one thing that it does. You know, it does it okay, I suppose. Yeah. But if you had to spend fifty dollars US more, you could have bought something that does that thing better, but also plays games at hundreds of frames per second. So 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, like I would even consider a, a faster CPU with like an Intel Arc low end, like the A380, whatever it is, which is like $100 or something. Yep. That does AV1 encoding as well. And you can slot that, like if you had an existing AM4 CPU system or something, you could slot something like that in and get your AV1 decoding and encoding support if you really wanted that um, to use as a stream PC. There's a, there's a lot of different configurations where those things make sense. And I think a lot of the, like, I get where a lot of these commenters are coming from. Like they're sort of looking, what's the advantages of getting an APU versus a CPU or other system? And it, it is things like, well, the normal Zen 5 C, sorry, Zen 4 CPUs don't have AV1 encoding. This does, so that's a benefit. Or we can cut out the GPU, so that makes the system smaller. Or, or there's some angle there. But then you have that idea and you really start then breaking it down. Like what does that actually mean? Like what is the alternative if I wanted AV1 hardware encoding what's the alternative if i wanted a slim pc for some sort of compact use case and generally you can find a some a, a better combination that isn't as compromised or offers a little bit more and, and even if at times like say you're building a small uh, or a super compact small pc you can often increase the size just a little bit to fit in some sort of discrete gpu and get way more performance which i think is yeah, a lot yeah. of people building that sort of system would, would be trying to do. And so, yeah, interesting well, to see the comments, but they just don't hold up all of the time, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, for not much more than, well, and actually, again, this would be my point. It, once you factor in the cost of, well, you'd get probably DDR5 memory with the Core i3 processor, uh, but you could mm -hmm. get DDR4, and for the particular use case we're talking about, it wouldn't really make any difference. So, yeah. Buy buy a Core i uh, Core i3 1200F, pair it with you know 32 gigabytes if you want of affordable DDR4 memory, put it on an inexpensive um, LJ1700 motherboard, and then buy yourself a Radeon RX 7600. <laughs> like it, it's honestly, I, I reckon once you factor in the full cost of the system, that may even be cheaper, but it's going to be about the same price as an 8700G, and. Mm -hmm. A Radeon RX seventy six hundred has AV one encoding, and it's going to absolutely annihilate the eighty seven hundred G. Look, at the end of yeah. the day, what what would you rather have? An eighty seven hundred G on a B six fifty motherboard with some DDR five memory, and that's your system done, done and dusted. Or would you rather have a much weaker CPU in the Core i three with the RX seventy six hundred? Yeah, for I mean, the I would same price. Choose yeah, for gaming, you, definitely. You for gaming or streaming. For system. gaming or streaming, yeah, you would pick absolutely. that because you're not yep. using the CPU at all for streaming. Like you're just not using it. And honestly, I would sacrifice the AV1 hardware encoding functionality to get. Yeah, H.265 like is fine. H.265 performance, like better performing GPU for gaming. That's what I would choose personally for that use case. But. Yeah, I mean, the main reason I see why these CPUs, or sorry, APUs are weak is that it's really not a purpose-built desktop part. These are designed for laptops and they're bringing them across to the desktop because they can and they're assuming they can get a few sales from doing so. But really, once you look at why they've designed it the way they have, it makes so much more sense in a laptop. Mm -hmm. They haven't put in a whole ton of compute units on the GPU side because if you're trying to run an APU at 30 to 50 watts or something like you'd expect in a laptop, you can't have like 40 compute units in there because it's just way too many for that power budget. Whereas in a desktop platform, 40 compute units would be a lot better because you could just crank it up to like 150, 200 watts or something and you'd enjoy all that extra performance. But in a laptop, that doesn't make sense. It makes 
perfect sense to have this eight core design with 12 compute units designed to be run at low frequencies around that you know, 30 to 50 watts, as I said. People like Jared's Tech have shown that these parts are very efficient when run in that range because of the monolithic design and stuff. So typically when you've got the, the chiplet design, there's a bit of power that's used for interconnects and things like that, which you don't get from this design. So when you consider all those factors, it's like, that's clearly what this has been designed for. That's clearly where it makes sense. It's it's not like AMD's come out and they've made this pointless piece of silicon that's like got no real viable use case mm-hmm. for any situation. It's designed for that use case. And it, it just, in this sort of configuration, it doesn't make sense for desktops. And I think if they were designing a desktop APU, it would be it would look quite a bit different. I think they would increase things like the cache capacity so that the overall CPU performance would be a lot more in line with the other Ryzen parts. They would probably significantly increase the amount of compute units. Mm-hmm. And then it would be it'd make a lot more sense if you were spending four hundred dollars on this APU that had a genuinely powerful integrated graphic solution and it wasn't compromised on gaming performance if you then upgraded to a CPU uh, sorry, a more powerful GPU down the line. But because it's repurposed silicon, it's just not purpose-built enough and it just doesn't make a lot of sense, unfortunately. I'll invest quite a bit of time looking at the 8600G maybe next week. I'll see how I go for time, mm. but ideally I would like to look at that next week. That's a $230 part. So it would cost you about $70 more for the Core i3 combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that's going to be even faster again because the 8600G is an 8CU uh, iGPU, I believe. So there'll yes. be some performance loss there. Again, um, I'm not. I think it has the same PCI Express lane count as the 8700G, but that's it's very neutered. Once you, if you mm-hmm. do install a card in the primary slot, you've got like eight other lanes to play with. So uh, yeah, not much. It, it's better than the 8500G. Is it worth saving seventy dollars to get slightly better CPU performance with just way worse GPU performance? I feel like spending $70 more to get over 150% more performance in games is probably worth it, right? Yeah, I would have I would have said so. Um, yeah, again, it's probably going to be a little... It could even be a bit more than that considering, yeah, the GPU differences. And you know, QH Freddy, in our podcast uh, Discord chat, he came up with this question which says, do you think an 8600G with the full iGPU, so still the 12 compute units but with six cores, probably at the same price or similar price, would have been a more interesting product than either of the current Phoenix APUs. And I think I'd probably be leaning towards yes, because you they really need to make these products a lot cheaper than they are for them to make a lot of, of sense. They need to be countering that whole where you could just buy a discrete GPU and slot it in and get a better product. You know, if they do want this to be used for people building gaming PCs without a discrete GPU being considered then potentially having it around $200 or even lower than $200 with the full iGPU would have been better. But then again, you're talking about like 150% more performance for just a little bit more even compared to an 8600G. It gets difficult. Yeah, to make an 8600G, even with that upgraded specification worth it, it's really got to be a sub $200 product because as it stands now, let's just let's let's have make the assumption that the 8700G has the same iGPU performance as the 8700G. And it the Core i3 with the RX6600 costs $300, so that's a 30% price premium. Mm-hmm. And we know, based on the testing I've already done, 
you're on average getting more than 150% more gaming performance. And that's at 1080p low. So if you start going up to 1080p medium, those margins start swinging much more in favor of the discrete solution because it will not choke nearly as much. You can probably, well, you can can go to high at 1080p with an RX 6600 and a Core i3. APU is completely unusable there and pretty much all the games I tested. So, but even if we go off the best case scenario, you're paying a 30% premium for over 150% more performance. That's why the APUs mm-hmm. don't make, they do not make sense. And they're in a difficult position because like, if you're thinking about what, what makes a sensible APU in the lineup, right? They can't make it so cheap that it makes sense in terms of GPU performance. Because if you're thinking like, okay, it's 150% faster. So maybe they have to sell it for half the price of that combination, which would be around $150. $120, yeah. S- something like that. But then then they're offering that level of CPU performance at that price, which probably would stack up pretty pretty well if it was $120, $150 right. with that you, level of performance. You would just buy that CPU, right, and ignore the iGPU. Yeah, exactly. And then it just becomes so, a, a sort of a budget entry-level CPU, which I guess they could do, but that they probably aren't willing to do it because it's not, you know, it's not a cost sensitive sort of product it's the die size is reasonable on those products so that's one angle they could go the other angle is they would have to significantly increase the number of computers to make it more competitive on the the graphics front and then it, you start making it bigger and more expensive and they can't really increase the price on it like it would have to still be the 230 to 330 dollar apu type price but just with a lot more silicon used a lot more compute units allocated and I don't know, like with the margins that they're charging on other products, it, it just doesn't seem like they would do that. <laughs> with, a- so APUs don't yeah. make sense. Um, they never have, and I know there are people who say that APUs will replace low-end budget gaming, and maybe that'll happen one day. Um, I've been doing this mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, that one day seems like it's been a long time coming. But it, it doesn't really make sense because that's not what the PC platform is. Right, the idea of the PC yeah. platform is you can pick and choose your components. Uh, anything that's been more integrated than what we're typically used to has been very niche and not that successful. Because, mm-hmm. say they take it, say, say they could take uh, the Ryzen 5 5600, which is a hundred fifty dollars CPU, and then the Radeon RX sixty six hundred, which is currently about a two hundred dollar GPU. So you're like a three hundred fifty dollar combo there. So they could take those two products and merge them into the one CPU package. So mm-hmm. that that's good. Um, that's that's essentially a $350 hardware combo. And say they could sell it for $350 or even $300. Would you buy that or would you rather have those things separate? Like you, you, you want a discount for having them together, right? Yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is you'd want them separate because if you're upgrading your GPU in the future, you can sell your old GPU and get some money back and mm. replace that, put that money into your new GPU. Whereas on the APU, you've always bought that GPU. Like it's still in your system when you add in another card later. Mm-hmm. So at that at that time that you're upgrading to another GPU, you've kind of then wasted in a sense the money that you spent on that part of the APU design. Whereas when you buy a CPU, you're never really wasting 
part of the silicon with any sort of GPU upgrade. It's still the exact same CPU, still getting the full performance benefits of that and all the the games that you're playing. In fact, even it'll become even more significant the CPU performance because the higher your GPU gets, the more likely you'll be CPU limited. So, so in that hypothetical hardware combination, pretending that that exists and is possible and you can buy it, at w- so again. The two components separate cost you $350 US. To buy them integrated into a separate package that works just as well, the resulting performance is identical. How much money do you want to be saving that going that way? Like, So if it's $300, I still feel like buying them separately probably makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, yep, I'd at say what, so at what sort of discount, what price? Like if it was $250, then that's pretty compelling. Because you're sort of getting the CPU yep. performance for free at that point. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you get, you're paying fifty dollars for the CPU essentially. It's kind of like when you see on, on a lot of product reviews, you're sort of tossing up the features that a product comes with, and mm-hmm. you know we've talked about how AMD GPUs typically should be priced a little bit lower than Nvidia GPUs because they have a weaker feature set, and certainly for a desktop platform, the integration aspect is kind of a weakness. So mm-hmm. you're kind of you're kind of factoring that in as to like. So to get that to accept that downside of the product, how much am I willing to save? And it, it's it's kind of weird to be saying that because if you if you're looking at you know you talked about how APUs are kind of designed for niche products, integrated systems where everything is sort of given to you and you're not picking and choosing parts. You kind of want the opposite. You kind of you do want the integration because for something like a laptop or a portable system, the integration is typically more efficient, so it saves power. Um, you know, it's you're using less space inside the design if everything is on the one package, so you can make the design more compact. And that's where those things become a benefit. But then when you flip it around, you try and sell it on a desktop, you have to kind of sell it for less than you would in the integrated solution because it's the the priorities are so different. And again, that's we were right. talking about that as to why the APUs don't work. So I know there's rumors at the moment of like a future Ryzen APU that uses I think the rumors are suggesting 30 or 40 compute units obviously would be a much larger design, probably designed for laptops. Even on a desktop, if they're able to solve things like if that was an AM5 platform, it would clearly not have enough memory bandwidth. So how you would, like, would that require a whole new platform or something would be an interesting Mm. sort of design decision there. But even if it was the perfect, it performed exactly as you're expecting type of product, it's still would have those negatives that would mean that you can't sell it for the same price, which is... That's right. So you're saying yeah. because you don't have that flexibility, you don't have that ability to upgrade at least. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can still upgrade, but the thing that you initially paid for is now redundant. It's just sitting there being yes. unused. So for that, based on the numbers we just roughly threw out there, you're wanting about a 30% discount to justify that at least at this price point, that mm-hmm. the hypothetical price point that we discussed, which... I think makes sense. And again, that just proves why the 8700G has not been well received because it's not at a one-to-one with another desktop hardware combination. It's significantly slower while being one-to-one in terms of price. <laughs> so that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think you, the how much of a discount you would want would be weakened even further if it required, like for example, if they sold you the motherboard and APU as an integrated solution to get around memory bandwidth concerns like so inst- instead of mm-hmm. 
you know, you're able to pick and choose the the products that you want. It's like it's soldered to the motherboard, potentially the memory soldered as well. And yeah, it may have PCI slots and all the other typical features you'd expect of a motherboard. But if it's all, you know, you can't easily upgrade that or, you know, your upgrade paths are limited because it's not the standard platform that you're looking at, then again, that becomes a consideration of it has to be a lower price because it's giving you a downside to the platform that yeah, you're, you may you're buying not, a- with no obvious benefit. No, you're buying a PlayStation that you can install Windows on at that point. Yeah, exactly. With some expandability. That 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 that's essentially the problem with those products. And you know, I get where they make sense that you can take an 8700G and you can put it inside a PC the size of a cup. It's like that's <laughs> yep, that's cool. I guess if you want to do that. I mean, I have a desk. There's I can you know mini ITX PCs in my world don't really make that much sense as cool as they are. Though I do have a couple of them because I take them away when we travel and stuff. But I've got enough desk space like down there where I can shove an ATX case and that that's more cost-effective and convenient and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But look, you can make a case for mini ITX for sure, but mini ITX systems can be quite small and still accommodate an RX 6600. Do you need to be gaming out of a cup? If the answer is yes, then the 8700G is very cool and will completely... Yeah redefine what it is that you can do in terms of gaming but if you don't mm-hmm. need to game out of a cup then it's like why yeah <laughs> why I does mean, it exist it, it, it's even funny you bring up the console comparison of like you know you can put all these if it does become this integrated solution you're basically buying a console if they offered that right now like if they literally said here is the playstation 5 internals that you can now purchase and that's our ap offering well, that'd be kind of cool it'd be way better because a ps5 I was looking at this earlier, right? The PS5, the new slim model, costs $450 US for the whole system. So that's mm-hmm. APU, memory, storage, the housing, all the components for $450. Mm-hmm. And that APU, it does have a much weaker Zen 2 CPU with eight cores. So obviously, that would be factored in. But it has 36 RDNA 2 compute units. It's going to be much faster. It's only $450. And so yeah. if you could buy that and install Windows on it, that would be an, that would, it wouldn't be amazing, but it would certainly be more compelling than hmm, something like pro- an 8700G. You're kind of getting ripped off <laughs> Well, compared to a PS5. Yes. I mean, my understanding is they don't make much margin on that stuff and it's it's based well, on volume and whatnot. Yeah, 100% um, so, that's why. So there's, the, uh, uh, you know, I get it to a degree. Also, that's proprietary hardware where they've specifically built that for a company to make a different product. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's some legal ramifications for selling that as a Windows-based PC. Uh, but they could essentially, as you say, they they could get around that. They could make something if they wanted to. AMD could make their own Windows-based all-in-one gaming platform thing they could sell. Um, but there's really not much incentive to do so, I suppose. Yeah, I imagine the margins on an APU are significantly better than a PS5 because, oh, yeah. as you say, they're, they're relying on the PS5 to sell 10, 20, 30 million units, mm-hmm. whereas an APU is just not going to sell that number. So yeah, yeah, there's APUs, some other benefits there as well in terms of the software side of things as well that probably optimization, yeah, yep. AMD towards that sort of deal. Yeah, so APUs don't make a ton of sense. We've talked about this in the past about there's always this future where, you know, <laughs> oh, this new APU is going to be so much more powerful than the existing CPUs and APUs and you get to that future and low-end products have improved, pricing has improved, the general ecosystem has improved and the APUs once again don't make as much sense as they initially appear like they will a couple of years ahead. So Yeah, that's right. If I told yeah. you there was an APU that could deliver similar port 
uh, performance to what is it? It'd be like an RX 580 GTX 1060 class, given that it roughly matches the 6500. Eh, it's, the the PCIe3 thing throws a bit of a curveball in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, yeah, the performance really, while it's great for an, an iGPU, you got to go back a fair way in terms of discrete GPU performance before you can be like, this is what it's, uh, you know, this is what it's matching. So I, I don't yeah, know. that's the that's the always the excitement, right? It's like if you went three years ago and you said you could get the performance of a GTX 1060 in an APU, an mm-hmm. upcoming APU product, yeah, people would be like, oh, you know, I still have a GTX 1060 because it was only released a couple of years ago, and you mm-hmm. know, it's, that's pretty, you know, that's that's all right for gaming, like that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then three years later, it's like a GTX 1060 is kind of like. All right, I'm kind of about to throw that in the bin and getting a new product and games really don't run on a GTX 1060 especially well anymore. And while it's not necessarily the case with all the games you tested, like the fact it can run Cyberpunk on low settings at 1080p is pretty impressive, but we're still talking about low-end low end stuff. So yeah, until, until we see like an astronomical leap in APU performance on the GPU side, I, I just don't think that they will make sense anytime soon. So... Yeah, a bit unfortunate there, but yeah, as we sort of said, these are not designed specifically for the desktop. They're brought across as a niche product that they just figure they can do it, so they will. They'll see if people are interested. I don't expect AMD's, you know, thinking that these will fly off shelves as much as their regular Zen 4 CPUs. So, yeah, 8000G. Yeah, that's right. And the the conversation of where it doesn't does and doesn't make sense as well gets even for me, I know I'm sort of bringing this whole topic up again when you're probably wanting to end it, so apologies for that, um, but <laughs> where it gets confusing because if you're looking at it purely from a, a budget focus thing, like this is what it can do in socket for $330, it's like, well, if you're really going down that budget path of trying to get the most bang for your buck, you can buy stuff like a Radeon RX 5600 XT for like $70, $100 is the most you'll pay secondhand for one of those. And I imagine, although I didn't do the comparison, a 5600 XT is significantly more powerful than Probably. the iGPU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you compare that with another secondhand eight-core CPU and you probably spent $200. So if, if, yeah, if, that's right. if budget's yeah. the priority, if, if you're trying to do the, the best you can absolutely do, like drive your dollar as far as possible, secondhand market most regions have a pretty healthy secondhand market for pc yeah. parts that's the way you would go um so anyway i mean yeah. i didn't don't, don't mean to um completely start this discussion all over again i think we've probably said enough enough about no, it i mean the, the used market's often ignored in these in these discussions it doesn't make mm-hmm. as much sense as you go higher up in the stack because people want the new versus new comparison but yeah if, you, if you're trying to penny pinch and save as much money as possible especially because like the am5 platform it's not exactly cheap to enter that platform compared to going used or even a new am4 system it's you know something like an ace 700g may have made more sense if zen 5 stuff was much cheaper and more broadly available for low-end gamers but yeah mm-hmm. like if you got if you want to stretch your 300 dollars as far as possible then going on the used market and buying a used system would would make yeah. a lot more sense if performance was the number one priority that you had which i think is fair enough if you if you only have that amount to spend then yeah yeah, it looks like uh, 5700 XTs are really cheap now. Yeah, they are. Um, There's a lot of them. Like really, the really thing. cheap. Looks like you can get them for, I think, um, it looks like you can get a working model for around $100, basically the same as what I was seeing from the 5600 XT. 
Um, that sounds looks, about right. Yeah, it looks like these ones are all sold as working products. So 5700 XT, what, that's 2070 Super, which is what, around – is that around 30, 60 mark, something like that? I'd have to go back and look into it all. Um, it's reasonable. It's a reasonable product. But that that's, yeah, that's probably not far off what, what I showed in the video. And that's, again, dirt cheap. Anyway, doesn't make sense. I think we've covered it. We've said it six different ways now. So <laughs> Cool. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll chat about, I guess, our boring lives. All right, and we're back. Boring lifetime. What have I been doing in the past week? Well, I on I did something I've never done before, which isn't actually that exciting, but I went to a soccer match with my dad on uh, last weekend. And I'd never seen – I'm not a huge soccer fan, I wouldn't say. Like uh, my top two sports for me typically would be Australian rules football and cricket. But there was a double header on at the Melbourne Rectangular Football Stadium, which I'd never mm. been to before. And dad was like, hey, do you want to go to this? It's like just in our local A-League, which is like our sort of top domestic competition. There was a women's match and a men's match back-to-back. Dad's been really getting into like the soccer lately, especially with the success of the Australian women's teams. He's been getting more into that, and he was he played a lot sure. of soccer as a, a kid and stuff. So he's like, yeah, do you want to go? I'm like, okay, sure. Let's go. Let's let's check out what soccer's like, Com- compare it to the sports I've usually gone and seen in person and things like that. And yeah, it was genuinely pretty good really enjoyed the match as some both matches were draws but even though there were draws it wasn't <laughs> i didn't leave like you, if you leave an afl match as in a draw it's usually like very very disappointing but there was still quite a lot of you know interesting action and shots on goal and both matches there were goals so that was you know very exciting they i think they were both 1-1 in the end so <laughs> yeah it was, it was cool very different vibe and atmosphere to what you'd see normally at a, at a cricket or afl match a lot more pre-prepared chants that like the the local supporters had for their that were they were just chanting the whole match which I, you don't really see in an afl match or cricket where it's you know there's cheering whenever there's goals or things but there isn't like supporter chants the whole time the whole thing so yeah it was a pretty good atmosphere i, I really enjoyed it and the rectangular stadium in melbourne is pretty good so okay. yeah bit of an interesting new experience and yeah certainly wouldn't rule out going to a soccer match again it was yeah a bit of fun so that's what I've been up to, seeing seeing a bit of in-person live sports for the first time in quite a while. I was I haven't been to a football match in a few oh, really? years, maybe. Really? Um, I suppose your team hasn't been killing it, and they're also an interstate team. Yeah, I mean, normally when I support Adelaide, I, I've usually, this was pre-pandemic times, I flew over once a year with dad to watch a match at Adelaide Oval where, where okay. the team is. So you get to see the home game experience. We used to do that sort of, you know, just a bit of fun father time and things like that. And that was good. <laughs> and maybe I'd get to, to watching, because I used to live in Melbourne where it was a lot more, a lot easier to just head down to the stadium and watch a match. So mm-hmm. back back then I would watch, you know, a couple of games a year at the stadium featuring Adelaide because Adelaide would only ever play four or five games in Melbourne per year. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd ca- catch a couple of neutral games with mates and stuff like that. But yeah, these days living a bit further away from stadiums and things, it's a bit more effort to go to the MCG, which is the big 100,000-seat stadium in Melbourne if you're an international listener, and watch that, watch a couple of cricket matches. But yeah, I haven't seen, I think since, yeah, the pandemic, the live sport thing sort of changed a bit for how I used to do it, and it's been much more watching on TV and things, which is how I've normally watched sport, and I think it's a perfectly fine way to, to do it. But yeah, I think if Adelaide was doing a lot better, mm-hmm. and maybe if there was like a World Cup cricket in australia i'd go see that um mm-hmm. 
but yeah, um, yeah, good, good to go see live sport, and maybe that'll bring me back to watch a couple more footy matches in this coming season. Because um, uh, fingers crossed, Adelaide will be not crap. <laughs> maybe they'll make finals. Maybe we'll see. Well, they sort of came good towards the end of last season, didn't they? Yeah, they missed finals by a. I think they were one match out of yeah, making it was a bit finals. Brutal. There was sort of this controversy where they kind of they on replay they kicked a goal that would have made them enter the finals, but then it was called a behind, which was you know if you're not was that the one AFLs. where they yeah they didn't use the technology they they didn't go was that's that the, right they didn't that, they yeah, didn't okay. do a they didn't do a goal review which uses mm-hmm. all the different camera angles and technology to see whether it was a goal they didn't use that on something that was called a behind which was only worth one point instead of the six points that they it would have got have for a goal. And if they got the six points, they would have won the match. And if they won the match, they would have made finals. So there's a bit of a controversy there. Adelaide missed the finals based on that. Um, yeah, it was very dumb as well there. because it's not a what if as well because when they reviewed the cameras, it was quite clearly a goal from my recollection. Yeah, it was clearly a goal and it was yeah. right at the end of the match too. It was like with mm. 30 so seconds, they, a minute they, to they, go. They, they, technically speaking, they did win. Well, they should have made finals. Yeah. If, if the... If the umpires and all the technology had been Did utilized properly, properly yeah, yeah. yeah, they would have made fire. So yeah. hopefully they they actually get in for real this year because um, mm-hmm. they've been many years out of the finals. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, I've been enjoying watching the cricket as well this year. So it's been a good, good, good period for Australian cricket. They've been quite successful lately, although the West Indies did beat them the other day. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this season of sport. I think it should be should be good. Good to. Good to get back into AFL and, um, yeah, maybe soccer. Uh, again, I've been sort of enjoying watching it, watch some of the World Cups whenever they come around, so maybe that will be a, a third thing, third sport for me. What have you been mm-hmm. up to? Um, well, I'll give a quick Balin update first because those listening may be wondering how poor old Balin's going. Uh, that's the mm-hmm. Harbour Unboxed video editor for, for those of you who uh, haven't tuned into previous podcasts. And mm-hmm. he had some hip surgery Um He's not been having a boring life, that's for sure. He's been having a crap life. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of pain, a lot of painkillers. Uh, and, yeah, so he was he was making last Sunday, I spoke to him early in the morning, and he was really excited. He was making good progress. Um, he was, you know, the pain levels had gone down quite substantially. He was getting better movement in his hip and stuff like that. So he was sort of all thumbs up. And I actually went, I think I visited him uh, on Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning. Anyway, around that time, I went and paid him a visit. And, yeah, he was looking good. He had his color back in his face. He was looking much better than I'd, I'd seen him for quite a while now. So that was all good. Anyway, I got a sort of an emergency call on Sunday night. He wanted to go outside to his fire pit area and enjoy the sunset because we had a really nice Sunday afternoon. And um, his girlfriend quickly ducked inside to go to the toilet. As he was heading out, he bloody slipped with his crutches and just smashed his leg on this like cinder blocks around the fire pit area. And he was in extreme pain for the next hour. Um, Because of the way they've stretched the ligaments and stuff to fix his leg, Mm -hmm. uh, the the surgeon says it's basically impossible to undo what they have done. Like it's so robust, but all the other muscles and ligaments around it are now vulnerable because they're so inflamed and whatnot. So it yeah, seems yeah. like he's 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 not. We don't think he's done any major damage, but he's stretched and upset one of the muscles in the back of his leg, almost like a hammy type situation. Right. So now he's yep. so it was an extreme pain, and he's been moving very very tenderly since then. 
but each day has been getting a bit better. So he's obviously set himself back a bit there um, by upsetting the surrounding muscles and ligaments and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I spoke to him um, this morning and yeah, each day he, he's getting a bit better. So that's good, I suppose. And I, I nice. Yeah. I've been encouraging him not to move. I'm like, mate, don't move. <laughs> just just stay on the couch. Don't move. Let your body heal. So yep. yeah, I've I've been I've been mumming it big time. I've been giving you all the mum <laughs> advice. So he really appreciates cool. that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, well, that, that's where Balon's at. Yeah, we I, wish him well. So hopefully he can continue on that path of recovery and it's all looking good from here. Yeah, exactly. If he can stop falling over, that'd be awesome. But I've let him know that, so yeah, helpful <laughs> stuff. Uh, so yeah, that <laughs> that aside, um, I haven't done too much, obviously. So just want full disclaimer: my boring life. Um, I don't have too many stories because I've been benchmarking boring products in my boring so, life yeah. that we've that we've just spent the last hour and a bit discussing. Uh, but I'll. I'll, I guess I'll tell you a story. No bullants this time, sorry. And from that bullant conversation last week, Tim, we we forgot about crocodiles. We did. <laughs> yeah, I saw some comments being like, "How could you guys crocodiles. have forgotten about Australian crocodiles?" It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fair, fair that's, enough. Fair yeah, my, enough. My bad on that one. My bad. Salt, uh, saltwater crocodiles are bloody massive and aggressive yeah. and and very powerful. To, but to and be fair, I'm not fighting be, one of those. <laughs> to, to 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 be fair to us, they don't go through your trash, at least in Victoria. So it's well, you'd like be hard pressed. You'd be hard pressed to find a saltwater crocodile in Victoria. And the other thing was outside saltwater. of the zoo. Well, that's right. The other thing with saltwater crocodiles is if you're on land and at least several meters away from a body of water, I know they can move, but you will outrun a crocodile pretty comfortably, providing that you're reasonable. Like- I think they have good burst to get that, out of the oh, water yeah. oh, to, to grab oh, yeah. something. Oh, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> their stamina is awful for like long. Uh, not, like if you run away, they're not going to like, they don't have the endurance and speed to really catch you. Yeah, they're not catching you on land. I don't know people. Yeah. If you're, if you're near the edge of the water, which is the danger zone, that's the ambush zone, they will pretty well get yep. you. Uh, and you can't yeah. run up trees and stuff. I know you can't do that because they will just camp at the bottom waiting as long as possible and they don't give up. They just wait there I was going to you sleep. until you yeah. – Yeah, they just sleep in the um, water or whatever and then you die when you come down. But, so. but yes, yes, I will admit, oversight there, I don't want to fight a crocodile. Um, but having said that, if it was in the octagon, you could probably, you know, lull it, just keep going around circles until it gets tired and then just jump on it Steve Irwin style. Uh, I'll watch a couple of his I, videos. I would love to see you attempt that. Steve from Hardware Unbox, the tech reviewer, who spends most a- of his time benchmarking 48, he's getting an octagon with a saltwater crocodile to try and run around and jump on its back. That would be gold I'll, content. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I think as long as I can, as long as I stay on my toes initially, I'll be all right. Because yeah, I, I think it'll get bored and that's when I'll strike. Um <laughs> Sure. That's, that, that's not necessarily what I wanted to talk about, though. Um, so, yeah, as I said, I don't have too much to talk about, but I did buy a thing. It's always fun spending money, right? So Absolutely. I put a photo of it in the BTS section on our Discord server. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know, I, I bought a mini skid steer, a brand new one, about two years ago now. 
And I've got a relatively large property. I used to move stuff like mulch by hand. I used to, I've done heaps of work with it. It's really cool. It's quite a large one. It can lift 400 uh, kilograms. Um, But yeah, it's like, I think, yeah, I've talked about it anyway, but I've got, I've got a skid steer. I've got a few attachments for it, like an auger bit with various different size augers. So I could drill holes and, and put things in them. So that's cool. And we want to run a bit of power and water around the property. We've done a bit of that. And I've used excavators um, with like a trenching bucket on it previously to do it. But we've got a lot of uh, like storm water and stuff we want to redirect and, and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to buy a trenching tool for my skid steer. So I bought one. I was going to, I was going to look at hiring one, but not great in terms of value if I have to hire it like half a dozen times over autumn. So I thought I'm going to buy one secondhand. There wasn't many available and they were like nearly the same price as a brand new one. And this is a very expensive tool, mind you. Costs more than an RTX 4090 in Australia. So that's all I'll say. So I, I ordered one and I guess the 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 topic of, of this story is sort of like customer support because I've got a few examples. Right. I don't know. I don't know how you've, again, is this an old man rant? Maybe it's an old man rant. Like, you know, customer support was better back in my day, which was like 10 years okay, ago. Okay. <laughs> but I'll use my young person uh, knowledge to, to thank you. check you on this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So I bought this attachment, a big, huge, um, it's like a giant chainsaw that goes through the earth. It's a meter long. It weighs maybe 200 kilos. You can't pick it up. Anyway, I ordered it in November and um, it's, they, they, build them to water. Um, so I ordered it, gave them all the specifications. And, and, and I'll just preface this by saying the customer experience example here is not terrible, but I, it leads into other stories. But I ordered the thing and I paid for it in advance, right? And then they emailed me a few weeks later and said, it'll be ready by mid-December, at which point we will contact you and you can come and pick it up. I thought, okay, great. Um, Mid-December, I ended up going up north to Queensland took Balin up there and made him dive down off a deck and nearly get eaten by a bull shark. That was a previous story. So go back and listen to three podcasts ago to hear about that one. Yep. I got back from my holiday and I'm like, hey, that really expensive thing I bought and have paid for, I've not heard anything about for like two months now. So I sent them an email saying, here's my customer number. Here's my order number. Can I get an update on where this is at? I heard nothing. Like, okay, well, it's early January. Maybe they they had advertised on their website they were back at work, but maybe there's a backlog. So I rang them up a week later, said, hey, here's my customer order number, all that jazz. Where's my thing? And they're like, oh, it says here the customer's picked it up. And I'm like, well, I can assure you that is not the case because I don't even know where to pick it up from. So this guy's got into a panic because this expensive bit of equipment has just, they don't know where it is. So they've rung the company that makes it. So I've got it through like, you know, a, a distributor, a retailer, whatever. Anyway, uh, yep. they didn't know what was going on. So he's like, we're going to have to ring you back tomorrow. So this guy's sweating bullets. He's panicking because he's thinking, where is this thing gone? <laughs> anyway, long story short, they ring you back the next morning like, hey, we found it. We found your thing. Um, you can Here's the details to pick it up whenever you want. So that was kind of a, thankfully I didn't need it straight away, but it was a bit of a run around. I went and picked it up got my thing and it all went smoothly from that point. So really not a bad example of customer service, apart from the fact that if I never followed up with them, I probably would have never got my thing. So that's probably less than ideal. It also took two months before, you know, basically 
none of what they said they were going to do happened <laughs> until I like rang them up. And so not ideal, right. but I was like, I, I've, I've whinged about customer service these days a few times. Cause I, I don't know. I'm always, I guess I was delusional. I thought when you buy like premium or expensive products, you probably get quite well looked after. And I've done a little bit of that over the last year and it hasn't been the case. Like, you know, I bought that 98 inch TV, which was the yep. most expensive TV, this particular brand. Uh, or uh, sorry, retailer was selling. Uh, I can't remember the exact details, but I like I bought this TV, paid for it, and paid for delivery and all that. And it was like two weeks later they ring me up, and it was meant to have already been delivered. And like, oh yeah, we don't have the TV. I'm like, okay, <laughs> when are you when are you getting the TV? And they're like, oh, it's going to be two months. And I bought this at no, I bought it in November, and it was going to be a Christmas present for the family. Like, mm-hmm. well, I don't really want it next year. Like, so like, would you like a refund? And I'm like, well, yeah, probably. I'll go buy a big TV somewhere else. Anyway, they were meant to process the refund. They rang me back two days later, like, oh, good news. We've got one and we can deliver it to you. It's brand new and all that. I'm like, okay, wicked. Let's pretend none of that other crap happened. Please deliver the TV before Christmas. They're like, yep, it'll be delivered um, tomorrow. I'm like, okay, tomorrow comes nothing. So I rang up the local store and a nice lady answered the phone. Uh, here's my customer number. Where's the TV? Oh, yeah, we've got the TV here. Okay. When are you delivering it? Oh, you want it delivered? It's really big. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's I know. Like, that's the whole job. <laughs> like, that's your job. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I paid for delivery. And she's like, oh, yeah, I can see here that you have paid for delivery. I was like, sweet, can you deliver it? <laughs> so she's like, oh, we don't have anything that can deliver TVs that large. I'm going to have to speak to the manager. So they had to like the next day go hire a van to then bring this TV. It was, I'm just like, I've had to make so many phone calls. And so I paid for the thing weeks ago or what, it was months ago or something. I, I paid for this TV to be delivered. I'm like, this is just absurd. You would think when someone buys their most premium TV, you get looked after, but it's just not the case. Like, yeah, the and then, really... and then th- sorry, sorry. And then I was like, I need a sound system for this. And I can't remember if I spoke to you or whatever, but I got like the Atmos Bose sound system for it. Yeah, yeah, I remember this because I saw it in your place. Yeah. You were like set I, it up and I was test uh, and you were testing and it out and stuff. That's right. My cousin Chris was coming down and he was all excited to see the TV and all that. So I'm like, I'll get the sound system, we'll set the whole thing up. So it's like the I think it's the Bose nine hundred or something soundbar, eight or nine hundred, something like that, and you've got the subwoofer and all that. So I ordered that from the same company. And again, that was relatively expensive. And my wife goes to pick it up and she comes back and there's three really long rectangular packages. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like, is this like a just add water subwoofer? Like I don't, <laughs> the subwoofers, I'm like. The, it's a box the, usually. The, di- the dimensions of these packages don't make sense. Anyway, they gave me three Bose 900 soundbars, which was way more money than I'd actually spent. Mm-hmm. So we had to ring them up and they were panicking because like, oh my God, you know, we didn't realize that and would get fired because I think the sound, I don't know if the soundbar's worth like $1,500 each and the subwoofer was a thousand. I only ordered two things. I don't know how I got three. So anyway, um, they ended up dr- driving a truck out the next day. They picked up the other two soundbars that I didn't actually pay for and then gave me the subwoofer. So, and this was a big, this was a big retailer, like a, you know, yeah. I, I, so anyway. Well, 
since we're on the topic of bad customer service, yeah, there's two things that have annoyed me lately. The first one has been when online retailers will say something is in stock. So you buy it specifically. Oh. Like let's say you're looking across three or four different retailers. Oh. Three of them are out of stock. One of them is in stock. So you're like, I'll buy it from the one that's in stock because I kind of need this. You buy it and they're like, okay. Actually. <laughs> actually, when we said in stock, we meant in stock at the supplier. And so you call them up and you're like, okay, well, I ordered this in stock. Like it's it's been days. I haven't heard anything about it being shipped or whatever. And they're like, yeah, so we're still waiting on it being shipped from the supplier. Like, well, why did you say it was in stock on your website if it's not in stock? Like that that's got to be some sort of crime. Just make that it a happens crime. a lot. That happens a it's lot. It's so bad. It's but, I feel like a few years ago the in stock markers used to be really accurate. Like if mm-hmm. it said it was in stock, mm-hmm. it was in stock. And often they would have a number of them that they had in stock. So you could be like, "Oh, you're getting, you know, there's only two left or three left." So it would tell you Mm-hmm. Nowadays, everything is in stock everywhere, and in stock is just a lie. That means it's not really in stock; it's just somewhere, and you may or may not get it at any any point. In stock should mean the next day or the next time that you're doing your delivery cycle, you have shipped it on that day. It, yeah, the other that's what the it other, should mean. The other way they abuse it is they do the really, 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 really low list price for the always out of stock item to like get you to their store, their online store or something. Yeah. That's yeah, the that's other bad. scam they do as well. Like it's, it's one or the other. Um, yeah, so that's frustrating. So but yeah, I, I, hate, I don't know. don't know what so it, I, uh, yeah. Another one about a big retailer is that, so you would have seen on Monitors Unboxed, I reviewed the Odyssey OLED G9, which cost me, I don't know, it's like $2,000 or something. It was expensive. And at the same time, I bought a Samsung soundbar just for my personal, you know, living room. I was like, I had this other audio set up. I, I saw your soundbar because you had a Samsung soundbar. You said it was all right. So I'm like, okay, I'll get one of those. That's different to the similar. Bose one. I've got a, yeah, just so people different. don't get confused. I have a Bose one out here on my OLED and then a mm-hmm. Samsung one on the 98 inch, but they got swapped around. Anyway, just so people aren't yes. confused that I said Bose and you said Samsung, go on. Right. So yeah, you have a, you had a second soundbar. Mm-hmm. There was a Samsung yep. one. Yep. I'd seen reviews that said the Samsung one was good. So I'm like, okay, I'll buy it the same type. Now, the, the OLED G9 was out of stock when I bought it and they said it would be delivered in a couple of weeks or something. I think they were saying early January. And that, that turned out to be pretty accurate because that's when they delivered it. So I knew that going in. It's not great that they had that product. You know, It was available for a while and then suddenly it was going to take ages to ship. Not ideal situation I wasn't a huge fan of, but whatever. They said it would ship in January. But when I bought the two things together... The soundbar was in stock and could have been shipped at any moment. And it was also quite an expensive, probably cost $1,000 or something Australian or something, something around mm-hmm. there, right? Mm-hmm. So in total, I was spending about $3,000 at the Samsung online store. Now, I would have thought that you spend that much, again, you're buying premium stuff, right? That they would ship you the item that's in stock immediately and nah. then wait and ship you nah, the other thing later. No, no, no. Just wait nope, for nope, everything. Nope. Wait for everything. They sent both things at the same time. And, I, and to be fair, it wasn't like this was a hidden thing. When I went to the checkout, it said they would ship them both at the same time. But they presented it as if it was like a helpful thing. Like, we want you to experience all your products at the same time. It's like, that's not what I want. <laughs> I would much rather have you sent that thing that was in stock immediately and then send the monitor when it's available later. But no, it's, Save the I, I, small shipping a, cost or whatever. I've had a similar annoying. thing, um, but even more annoying than, than yours and a bit more dodgy. So I bought, I reckon it was probably about, it must have been about $6,000 worth of camera gear because I got a new JH6 
another lens, uh-huh. that new audio recorder, the 32-bit one. I bought I updated a heap of stuff, so sort of end of financial year type stuff. So bought it all from an online store. And it was stuff we sort of wanted straight away. A couple of things we didn't need, like we didn't need the spare GH6 straight away, but we wanted the audio recorder for a specific video we're working on. All in stock on their website. So this is one of your pet peeves. Paid for it all. They took my money and the order was being processed, you know, two to three day type deal. Anyway, get like four days in, order hasn't been processed. Then I get an email. Oh, we regret to inform you that this item, it was like one of the random small items in the order, like it's probably worth $100, uh, isn't in stock. So we'll um, we'll ship the order out when it's in stock. And then I contact them. I'm like, well, can we just remove that from the order and get refunded? It was, it was a whole thing. Like it was really annoying. It ended up delaying the whole order by about two weeks just because of this one item. Mm-hmm. And I... You know, they didn't even give me sort of the option of, hey, we're going to send the, like, I guess it's a common sense thing or customer service type thing. You would just go, okay, this person's ordered like $6,000 worth of stuff. The website said this one item was in stock when they ordered and added to the cart, but it turns out that's some sort of error in the system. We didn't have it. Let's just send their order out without even notifying them, but, but send them an email saying, hey, this one item was out of stock. We're going to pay for that to be delivered. But they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to pay for that to be delivered separately. So mm-hmm. they were, Or even they were give either- you the option to do that, even for you to pay. <laughs> that wasn't an option either. And it was hard for me to get it removed from the order. Basically, they had decided, oh, you know, we've spoken to our supplier. That'll be delivered in one to two weeks. So we'll just hold the order for one to two weeks. And I'm like, I don't want to wait one to two weeks for this one item that I sort of added because I saw it then. I'm like, hey, that's that's a good price for that. And I guess we could have another one of those. So anyway, it was just, just annoying. I know, yeah. this is, I know this is sort of like first world, high class type whinging and whining about things. But. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I get it from a business standpoint, right? Like they want to save money on the shipping costs. They're trying to yep. ship it all together and save money. But I'd at least like the option, like, especially if I was buying, like in my example, the sandbar monitor together, have the option of pay more for shipping or something even though I think adding the two products together increased the shipping cost as it was anyway, but mm-hmm. to separate the orders, make them make, like, I, I guess I could have bought them as two separate things, but I can't remember why I didn't it's do just, that, but it's just, yeah, just frustrating. But anyway, I have actually, I've got to go to a meeting in about one minute after this, one minute from now. Oh, well then I'll tell you about this other customer experience <laughs> situation that I had to. So we got to end this podcast right now. So, uh, uh. um, Hopefully everyone has enjoyed it. Subscribe to our Hardware Unboxed YouTube channel. If you want the video version, it's available on Spotify and all those places for audio version. Don't forget about the survey. Links are in the description below if you want to give us your information about what GPU you're using and various different things about that. Please do fill that out. We'll talk about it in the next podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. Come back next week. I will be complaining about more things in my privileged life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.